Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, G, U corner, half back, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Blue 42! Morning, Bump. How are you now? And I know your Lakers are out, but it's okay. LeBron James on Instagram yesterday posted a clip from Gladiator declaring vengeance. Good morning, fellas. One, LeBron, just be quiet. Get healthy. I don't I don't need to hear from you. All right, we're going to give you some help. Don't worry. Two, if you are from L.A. and you're a Clipper or a Chargers fan, just move. Move to Orange County. Like Don't, you don't claim any of those teams if you are from L.A. Disgust me, but Clippers are still in the game. <laughs> They're like your cohabitant, though. Like, don't you cheer for your roommate? You want your roommate? You guys play in the same building. They're not our roommates. They are renters. <laughs> we put an ad out. They moved in. They're paying the rent. <laughs> Bump is legitimately bothered by this. Let's move on. Question number one. Bump, what did DK Metcalf mean when he said that there are routes in the Seahawks offense that no one has seen before? Because that doesn't that doesn't sound possible. Yeah, right. So your traditional route tree has, what, nine routes? You got your hitch. Your slant, your post, your curl, your dig, your comeback, your corner. Those are your traditional routes. And in football, it's all about getting guys to spot. So you have those routes, you have spots on the fields. You have your, your flats, your intermediate, your deep, the middle of the field. So what I think when I hear him say that is he is running routes that aren't linear. Because all those routes I just named are linear. Everything is in a line. That's how we've been taught to play football. And I went back, I looked at Shane Waldron's offense. Now, I know he said there's some routes that we haven't seen yet. But he allows their players to kind of round a lot of things and just get to spots. So I think he's going to have a little more freedom in his route running. I think there's going to be less linear routes, and he's going to be able to get to a spot in different ways. And then you got to go back and think about how has DK been raised to play football? Um, played high school football, then he went to Ole Miss, and now he's in the, in the NFL. And again, traditional routes. I think I have seen some of the routes that – we're going to see because I've studied a lot of playbooks and offensive coordinators are just allowing things to be more fluid and free moving and not as strict when it comes to movements. So I think it's going to be a lot of just, I heard you say loop-de-loop. Uh, I think it was Danny. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be loop-de-loops, but they're going to be less linear type routes. It's more like, okay, get to this spot. You have freedom to move defenders with your release and how you attack them. Don't worry about being on a straight line all the time. At the risk of being the dork who brings up three cone drill times, does less linear routes suit DK Metcalf's skill set? Mm. That's a great question. It might. It really might because I think it, it might help all receivers, honestly, because you have more freedom to get to your spot. Because a lot of times it's like, look, all right, I got a five-yard route. I got a backer sitting at five. I got to threaten him right now. Towards now, maybe they're like, look, okay, you got to get to that five-yard spot, but now you can you can hook around them. You know, you have more freedom. You don't have to be exactly at five. Maybe you go five to eight, and you're just looking for space. A lot of the times, routes are, they restrict you. You have to get to this spot in this way. So it might be, it might allow him to be sneaky. You know, he, you, when, when I say sneaky, too, it's like when you run past that second level, the linebackers, there's a blind spot. They'll lose you. You know, and if you are linear, if you're running things that they're used to seeing because you have to attack guys, then they'll be prepared for it. But maybe you're allowed to get behind them, then hook around. So it, I feel like you're going to be playing a lot of mind games with these defenders because they're going to see a lot of stuff that they just haven't seen before or haven't seen on the regular. 
Sounds exciting. Question two. How dangerous is Julio going to be for the Tennessee Titans? Julio, one, it hurt me so bad to see him get off that jet looking all good and fit, you know, in, in Tennessee. Man, that dude looks good. How yes. good is he going to be in Tennessee? At, at first, I was concerned. I'm like, all right, you got Todd Downing over there. He's been a quarterback coach. He's been a tight end coach. He was an offensive coordinator one year with the with the Raiders. Their leading receiver was Jared Cook, a tight end, when he was over there in Oakland. They just lost Johnny Smith with the Titans, so there's going to be some room for him to catch footballs. This is where he's going to be successful. He's going to be successful in the red zone. The dude has only had one season where he had double-digit catches. That was in 2012. I look at this Tennessee offense. They are great in the red zone. They score touchdowns 73% of They're the time in the red zone. <clears throat> That's been, I guess, a flaw when it comes to Julio Jones, if you're a fantasy owner, is that he's just not going to put up a lot of touchdowns. So I don't see him having a 1,500-yard season like he's had, what, three times in his career. I don't see him going for 1,200 yards. I see him finally get, getting into double digits again, 11, 12 touchdowns, but maybe hovering around eight, 900 yards because he's still got Brown over there who's going to take um, a lot of the targets away. So this will be a good season for Julio Brown. I mean, Julio Brown. Julio Jones is just going to look a bit different. He's going to be a, a legit threat in the red zone. I'm giving him 11 to 12 touchdowns. I'm really curious to see what the quarterback's going to look like this year there because this is the first year that Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee is going to be without Arthur Smith, the FedEx kid who has moved on to the Atlanta Falcons and said, I don't talk about players that I've never coached when asked about the Julio Jones trade. It's going to be an adjustment for Tannehill. And, you know, I got I to gotta give Tannehill some respect, man. I mean, I, I haven't been a fan. Um, he's bouncing. He hasn't had a great career, but last year he was balling, man, with 33 touchdowns, less than 10 interceptions. Maybe he's turning a corner, but it does make me a bit concerned when Arthur's gone. I mean, he's the guy who kind of took him to that level. Now, Todd has been there. He's been there for, what, two or three years or something. He He's familiar with Tannehill. He's familiar with this offense, but he's going to implement his own type of offense as well. So there's going to be another learning curve for Tannehill. What do you do? You go and get him one of the best receivers to ever play the game and hope that that's going to help him out. There's been some talk about Julio Jones' practice. Talking about practice. Is it Diana Rossini? You said you heard right Paul mentioning the fact that he was undergoing a lot of treatment last year. That it wasn't he wasn't available for practice a lot of times during the week. He's older. This could be a case of worried about a guy breaking down as well. I'm not sure. That's not a great recipe for learning a new offense if you don't have a guy that's able to get out there and practice consistently. Yeah, you're right, because chemistry is big when it comes to quarterbacks and receivers. The thing that <clears throat> what I don't like about Julio Jones is that he says he doesn't work out during offseason, that he just eats yeah, good. Isn't that crazy? He just, he just shows up. I'm like, man, bless your genetics for having me be able good to do Lord. that. But as you get older, you're trying to be explosive. Those hammies, those glutes, you know, everything on the backside of your body is what is really going to help you be explosive. He has to start working out. He has to start taking care of his body because uh, it gets – you hit them 30s, man. That hammy, it hangs around. That injury hangs around for a lot longer than it did in your 20s. He had, I guess, some frustrations within, with the Atlanta organization, too. And, and and there's a part of me that wonders, when you go from a place like Alabama where everything is so regimented to a place where you're probably enabled a little bit, how that maybe changes your habits over the course of, like, 10 years or so. Because, yeah, in Alabama, I would imagine he wouldn't be getting away with getting away from walking away from those workouts. Yeah, and, and Bama... I mean, they probably got you on like a GPS system watching your every single move. 
Now you get to Atlanta and you're balling and you're one of the best in the league. They're like, okay, man, just show up, man. As long as you show up, you don't get in trouble. You can do what you got to do. So it's a it's a gift and a curse. But maybe a change of scenery will have them, have them change his mindset. I heard you guys talking about how players from year one to two, they change the way they eat. You know, they kind of have an epiphany and like, look, these are the things I need to do. So maybe Julio being in a new environment will force him to actually work out, which is crazy to me that he does not work out during the offseason. Wow. Question three. We're all envious of Julio Jones. Yeah. Good Lord. Bump, would you trust this athlete with a secret? I mean, it's a new offense, so... This is... Have you ever used spider attack while pitching? Um, I don't... I don't know. I, I, I don't know if... Uh... I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And- That's Yankees pitcher Garrett Cole asked if he's ever put spider tack on his hand bump. Would you trust that man with the secret? Heck no, man. That hurt, man. Ooh. That hurt listening to that. I wonder what the reporters that were like looking at him in his eyeballs, like what what type of feel did they get? You know, where did they have that awkward moment where they're looking at him and he's struggling, so you look down at your notepad, so you don't even make it make it more awkward. You got to have some type of answer. Um, there's something called like the the PR department. Uh, they should have prepped him. I mean, uh, even little old free agent in 2008, they used to tell me, look, hey, man, you might get hit with this, this, and that. Just be ready for it. So you have a game plan going in. When you're Garrett Cole, one of the aces over there, you got to be aware of everything. I would not trust him with anything right now, man. I would just, if I were him, I'm sitting out a couple of press conferences. I'm getting my, my, I wouldn't say my lies, but my stories together. And just prep, man. That dude was not prepared. And I, I kind of feel bad for him. But he just made himself guilty. Heck yeah, he used that stuff. He couldn't even answer the question. I'll say this. He looks bad right now, but his his embarrassment's gonna last twenty four to forty eight hours. If he gets up there and lies, like you you potentially become a forever punchline. So I'll give Garrett Cole credit for that. Like it's it's better to look like an idiot in the short term than to lie and be a liar in the and be shown to be a liar in the long term. So what you're saying is he did the perfect thing. No Because if he tells the truth then people are on him. If he lies, then people are on him. So what you're saying is he kind of did what he was supposed to do in that situation? I I think that what he did will create the least amount of long-term damage for him because he won't be accused of being a snitch and he won't, he'll just be a short-term punchline as opposed to like being branded a liar. Like the people who looked worse, who are the people that looked worse from the steroid inquisition in, in, in baseball? It's Palmero, right? Yep. Palmero wagging his finger at the guy and don't accuse me and my integrity. And he's the one that looked best in the short term because everybody's like, yeah, he stood up and gave it to the same. Yeah, well, he didn't have the last laugh because when it turned out he got shots in his buttocks, like everybody came back and they were showing that it was much be- like what did what did Mark McGuire do? He did the I'm not here to discuss the past. Right. And everybody was like, what a weenie, what a coward. That was probably the long term best play for him because he didn't lie. He didn't. Nobody nobody doubted what had happened, but he didn't confess, but he also didn't lie. So when in doubt, talk extremely slow, <laughs> big pauses, and just be unsure. 
and you'll be a punchline for 48 hours and boom, on to the next. Got it. The athletes, the gangster, the gangster move in that situation would be to say, look, of course we've been putting stuff on our hands. Everybody's been doing it. And I'm no more, no less guilty than anyone else. Go talk to Manfred. Go talk to the guy who runs this sport, who is very well aware of everything that's been going on. And if he wants to change something, he could talk to us. But like this has happened for a long time, and it's not a secret to anybody. That would have that would have been the that would have been the gangster move. Yeah, I feel that. That is blue forty two. Michael Bumpus with us on Wednesdays and Fridays.